Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Greta Gerwig's new historical drama, Little Women. Based on the novel by Louisa May Alcott, the film follows four sisters in America, Amy, Joe, Beth, and Meg, as they come of age in the aftermath of the Civil War. In addition to Little Women, Ms. Gerwig's directorial credits include the feature film Nights and Weekends, which she co-directed with Joe Swanberg. She was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Theatrical Feature Film and the Academy Award for Best Director for her 2017 film, Lady Bird. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Gerwig spoke with director Ryan Johnson about filming Little Women. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Thank you. Damn straight. <laughs> thank you. What a movie, huh, guys? Oh, Extraordinary. Thank you. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, I just so I just watched the movie for the first time. So I'm like all of you, just kind of like emotionally overwhelmed and have a lot going on right now. But I'll try and be coherent. So, I mean, you're you know you've um, your body of work, which obviously your last tremendous movie, Lady Bird, was your first solo directing, but you've been co-writing, co-directing, you've been acting, you've been, um, you know, and, and most of it in films that are, feel incredibly current. And then to step back with this and do a period piece, of course, once you see it instantly, it's like, oh my God, this is so rich in so many ways, both beautifully as, as a movie and beautifully told, but also thematically. You instantly see, oh, this makes so much sense. But talk to me about, like, Talk to us about how, like, what was it that, that drew you to it initially? Well, I mean, in, in, a, in a funny way, although um, the, my, my first movie I solo directed, um, Lady Bird, was, it's much closer to our time, but it's actually, you know, it takes place in 2002. So I always thought of both of them as period pieces. It's just 2002 is a much closer period to ours. But... Um, but I've always liked this sense of being able to understand more about where we are today by looking at either the recent past or the far past and kind of looking at the way the stories are the same or the stories are different. So um, that, for me, that kind of specificity of time has always been incredibly important. And um, I think, you know, when you're making a movie in 2002, a lot of it is that thing of um, not wanting to oversell the the moment like every song on the radio being from that year or every car on the street like you you want to have time tracers of like you know songs from 1994 are still playing and and cars you know are from the 80s like it's not quite there's no frozen mo- in moment time and for me dealing with the 1860s I kind of felt the exact same way, which was, I mean, <laughs> this sounds, this is like very specific, but things like cuts of suits, I, we used cuts of suits from the 1840s for Lori's costumes because 
his grandfather would have chosen them, and he hasn't really been keeping up with the styles in the past 20 years, so that kind of jacket cut was actually out of fashion by the time Lori's wearing it and stuff like that. But I feel like the more you dive into the specifics of a time period, the more you're able to make it breathe and live, and I was enabled by my brilliant costume designer, Jacqueline Duran, and my set designer, Jess Goncher, who both are such world-class artists, and they were willing to just spend hours and hours and hours with me pouring over paintings and photographs and looking for this thing that made it feel alive. And so, for example, with like the hair, I wanted the hair to be messy, (laughs) and I needed examples of women with messy hair in the 1860s. And there's this wonderful photographer, Julia Margaret Cameron, who has girls with these this wild, un, unbrushed hair. And it looks they look like girls you know. And um, I felt like I wanted every single thing in the film to be footnotable. I didn't want it to be anachronistic, but I did want it to feel like it was breathing and real, and um, it just—it—I mean—that's the most fun part. It's just—I mean—I'm more familiar with 2002 than 1860. Um, but this felt no less just real and alive and just current. It just—it felt like you had been plopped in the middle of a big messy family. <laughs> it felt so alive and so real. It's incredible. Yeah. Did you um, did you grow up reading the book? What was your, what's your history with the book? Yeah. And yeah. The book was my favorite book. It was my favorite book. Um, I mean, I read it over and over again. I think. I don't know if you had books like this. The books that become like um, ritualistic almost to read, that um, they live inside you so much. And it felt like those, the March sisters felt like my sisters and Joe March felt like my, she was my, uh, she was my favorite. And I don't know, I don't know if I wanted to become a writer and then I discovered Joe March or Joe March was a writer and that's what made me want to be a writer. But whatever it was, it was some combination of that and so it, it was it had been it's so the the emotional core of the story is also so deep inside of me that that felt like um it didn't feel like I was making anything up it felt like it was all very much an extension of me it's funny because I mean the Joe character obviously it, as you as a writer and director you can see the immediate connection the Amy character is so rich also and you can see there's so much you know that you're that you're feeling through her too, but your connection, the material in general, you can just I mean, yeah, it's it's in there, man. You can feel it. Yeah. Thing. Well, one of the things when I was like looking when I was when I was rereading the book and I was starting to write the script was I was so incredibly struck struck by how vivid their experience as adults was. Like I think sort of the text of Little Women, both as a novel but also just our collective memory of Little Women, is them in their girlhood, in their childhood, in this kind of snow globe halcyon days of, of what, you know, Massachusetts winter. And even though it's in the middle of the Civil War, there's a coziness to it. And then when I was rereading the book, I was finding all of this richness when they were adults, which, which I felt like I wanted to see. And things like Amy, Amy goes to Europe and she realizes that she'll never be a great artist. And it's incredible in the book. And she goes to, you know, she's going to, she's doing a tour. And she says, she, you know, she went, she loves the old masters. And so she goes and she's, and then she realizes like, oh no, that's gone. And I'll never be that. And then this is my invention. But also I found I, this is, you know, part of what's fun of making the film. Then, you know, she's in Paris, which is right at the beginning of Impressionism and right at the beginning of, 
of Manet as painting and Cezanne as painting and the sort of notion of paint being the subject of the painting itself is starting to emerge and she knows she's not doing it. And I just thought it's so, it just felt so meaningful to me to have a, a young woman say, I want to be great or nothing. It's such a wonderfully arrogant space to occupy. And I felt like, I felt like I, I just, I understood her. And then equally, the character of Meg, often it feels like Meg, who gets married and has children, her story ends with marriage, as if nothing happens after that. And the book, I found all these riches of, she has a spending problem. She <laughs> spends way too much money because she's, really stressed out being home with the twins all day. And I, I thought, what? This is terrific. Um, and she's lying to her husband. It's, it was great. And I feel like, uh, I just felt like there was so much about that that was exciting to me. So then the way I sort of went about writing it was like, well, if I start in their adulthood, then I can use that as, then, then the, the childhood can be this kind of common language for all of us of, of, well, then, but then how do you continue to be brave and big and interesting and have big dreams even after you're past that point? Yeah, structurally, how you approach, I mean, it's, it's genius. It's amazing. And, and it Thank also, it, it creates just this, I don't know, the whole thing becomes, first of all, the way that you juxtapose, you use it to juxtapose, um, you know, flipping back and forth, you have perspective on different things before they happen, but it just becomes this big emotional tapestry. I imagine, though, it was not easy to, both in the writing and in the editing room, I'm assuming, to keep track and to have it all land so emotionally. Talk about working with structure with this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> I will say it's a structure that's difficult to give notes on, which I'm sure you've experienced with. Can someone. be good. That yeah, can be really can be good, good, actually. Yeah. Because then someone will say like, "Can't you?" and you're like, "Nope." <laughs> uh, try again. Um, it, but I mean, the thing about the the, the structure is um, there's two there's two time periods, but everything's moving forward. There's no point actually where you're going backwards in any of the time periods. Everything is following, and then at one point. Uh, then you kind of add the layer of you have past, present, and fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you sort of add you add another layer, which also I think the time sh starting with their adults and then going back to children allowed me to introduce this idea of is that how you remember it, or is that what happened? Or is that how you remember it, or is that how you wrote it? And once you add in that layer of the bookend, which yes. in so many cases, bookends are just death, and this is an example where it works so well and also brings an additional level of richness to the entire thing. So the, the example, the thing with the end, where you do kind of the meta telling of, you project yeah. that back to the whole story. It's just, yeah, it's... Well, one of the things that I discovered while I was researching Louisa May Alcott, um, and I tried to bring in a lot of this, is unlike Joe March, who does get married and have children, Louisa May Alcott never got married, and she never had children. But she was convinced that she needed to have Joe get married and, and have children in order to sell the book. But she never wanted that for her heroine. She wanted her to remain, as she called it, a literary spinster. But she, they, they, they convinced her, no, this is not going to work. So she, she did it the other way. And so part of what I wanted to do was... 
I don't know, 150 years later, give her an ending she might have liked. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if we can't do this now, then we've really made no progress and we should all <laughs> hang our heads. Um, but but I, 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 the, the structure truly came out of wanting to introduce this layer of authorship everywhere in it, um, how we author our own lives, even if we're not writers, and how we kind of tell and retell the story of how we became who we are. Um, and then, you know, I, uh, I think it jumped out at me because the book was originally published in two parts, and the first part being more childhood and the second half being adulthood. And um, they really, when I was rereading them, they started to graft onto each other pretty, pretty m movingly. And one of the things that I found most moving was Beth in childhood gets sick and gets better, and in adulthood, she, she gets sick and she dies. And there was something about that that felt like, well, if I can figure out how to put these on top of each other, it, to me, all of a sudden, it, it felt very moving, this kind of doubling. And, and I think it, there's something that some, there's a feeling that I was trying to capture that I, when I've had you know people in my life uh, die, pass away, that I, there's something that I've said and I've heard other people say, they say, but I, I, but I just saw them. Like, and it's a very, it's almost like this intuitive sense of as if, as if, as if it could stop something by, by, but by presence, like, but it was just the other way. And I was kind of, as I was structuring the movie, I was like, if I could get that feeling of like, but they were just here. That would that would uh, create something to me that felt like was already in the book. So beautiful and so sad. And also, then when after she's died, when you then have scenes where she's around alive. and still alive, it yeah. just brings a impossible poignancy to those. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, I, it's a it's a very um, you know. I think I think that one of the things writers try to do where all artists try to do is try to save something while we're still here. And I always felt that the way that a Louise May Alcott tried to save her sister was writing it down because she couldn't do it in life. And I, I find that very moving as a person who was want to write things down. <laughs> That's beautiful. The, um, it's, it's, there's the, 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 we'll talk about the actors in a second because the dialogue in the film and the way that you worked with the actors, especially in the big groups, is amazing. But before that, some of the most striking moments in the movie for me were nonverbal ones, were ones where just directorially you feel like you're creating and sculpting these moments, like when Beth is playing the piano and Chris Cooper's character is listening to her, which is just gorgeous, or when the two sisters are sitting on the beach and the wind kicks up. Talk about, uh, talk about how you approach visually, if you plan, talk about working with your cinematographer, what that collaboration's like. Well, I was um, I was aided by uh, my cinematographer. Cinematographer York Lasso is just a wonderful uh, DP. He's French. He worked with he works a lot with Olivier Asias, and um, he shot all of his recent movies. And he's worked with uh, Luca Guadagnino, and he shot I Am Love, 
and he shot a Bigger Splash, and both of which are gorgeous films. But he also had, he shot Carlos, which is, has this kind of kinetic energy. And I knew I wanted the camera to feel like a dancer, especially in the younger scenes. I wanted it to feel like we're very much in it with them, but I didn't want it to feel messy or, or handheld. I didn't even want Steadicam. I wanted it to feel like a moving painting. And, I, and we, pretty spe we very specifically blocked and sh shot listed. And I, the way the script worked with the movement was all very intertwined in terms of people speak over each other, but they speak over each other in very designated areas. And then the way York was able to kind of be a, be a member of the scene in, in those areas was, uh, it was, I, it was exactly what I hoped he was, he was going to do. And then he did it and it was just, I, it felt alive, and it felt, and it felt like, you know, with period pieces, I feel often there's this quality of being nailed to the floor. Like you can feel how expensive the lighting package was. You're like, you can feel the f they smoked up that room, and then we're waiting. Um, and we did smoke up some rooms, <laughs> but um, <laughs> because it looks nice. Um, and we were lucky, you know, we got to shoot on film, which was incredible because it was, yeah, it just, I mean, it added this, it, you know, as my production designer says, it kind of, it falls off the truck. It already looks like how you want. And also it's the 1860s. It's very close to the kind of photochemical process that they had. So so we we kind of were establishing this look and then, Conversely, in adulthood, I kind of wanted it more farther away, more static, more locked off, more polite. Yes. And um, and we and we, you know he was just he was very he was very intuitive uh, in how how he worked, but also. I mean, we, I'm a real planner. I'm a real prepper and a planner, and we just... So you shot list, you come in with I, like... Yeah, a, yeah you've I got shot all, list, yeah. and I do bad drawings. Um, we did work with a storyboard artist for some of the sequences. How'd you um, find that process? I, I loved it. I was not used to it. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've done it a, a bunch. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. I, I, but actually being able to talk through something and then have them draw it out. Uh, we did it for the ice skating, for the falling through the ice. And, um, and it was just, a, it, it was, it was it, I liked, I, I, think, I think the thing that I was learning how to do in it, and I, and I love doing it, it was finding, um, it's the plan, but then the, once you're there, the, finding the freedom, yeah. even though you have this, this set of shots that you're trying to get. But, um, I mean, to that end, I mean, that leads us kind of to talking about working with the actors, because one mm -hmm. of the, especially, I come from a big family. I think if you grew up in a big family, you know that sense of loving chaos of like everyone around. You capture that so well in here. And part of that is the camera. Most of it is so much of it is is your actors and how you work with them and how you make it feel like they, it, it felt like, again, like I said, it didn't feel like a set shots. It felt like you were right in the middle of a family. Talk about how you worked with the actors in general, the cast. It's a big question, I know. But, yeah. Well, I, I, we were able to do rehearsal. We had two weeks of rehearsal, uh, which is so nice to have. Um, and I, I, I like working with actors a lot beforehand, as much as I can. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I think I find 
the more I work with them, the deeper the performances get. I don't. Do you drill? Do you run the scenes over? And I would expect with some of the group scenes, you would have to almost to get the overlaps and everything. Or is it more talking through it? How do you, how do you come at rehearsal? We do both. In this one, for the group scenes, it was getting everyone up to speed because I wanted the lines memorized in that way where it's um it's muscle memory. I never wanted anybody reaching for the words because we would do these kind of long shots that would hand off, and it was like a game of hot potato, everybody had to be on it. So I did, we did rehearse those, those lines, but we do a combination of talking and running the scenes. We do a lot of, honestly, what I, I, I had a lot of the actors do, I had them all perform for each other. I had them do monologues and, or read poems or sing songs. They, I, they could choose what they did in front of each other, but I feel like it made them instantly embarrassed, but then instantly get over their embarrassment because it, there's something so... I mean, the thing that you're asking them to do is act in front of each other, and there's nothing more embarrassing, you know. That they and so I, but it was it was great, and then they made me do it, which I was like, no, 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 I'm I don't have to do this part, and they were like, no, you have to you have to do a poem, but um, it was, I mean, we do that, we do lots of vocal, uh, physical exercises, and um, I think I said, there's a. I saw a Q&A with um, the, uh, the Dardenne brothers, and they said something like that it stuck with me. They said, it takes two weeks for actors to stop being embarrassed of their bodies. And I think that's true. Yeah. I think it takes a couple of weeks just to settle. And, and then, it, it, you know, there's all this, in rehearsal, you can really talk through, and this is such a research-heavy movie and I had given them all books to read and things to look at and I was forcing them to watch movies and which which kind of movies like were reading? Heaven's Gate. They all fell asleep. <laughs> and I was like, but look at how many waltzers they have. <laughs> um, um, but um, and Reds um, uh, because it's, that's another pe- I mean there's so many period pieces that don't feel like period Stayed. pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller and uh, just like a lot of different uh, films that I felt I thought felt alive and felt right for what this this was, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean I and that they all and then then I made them do things like go hang out with without me and um, do do dinners and have secrets and 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 I, I like create I like as much as I can creating a bubble that everyone feels safe and good in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was so I mean the cast is. Amazing, and the cast is, and they're all so. Um, I mean, just the 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 wattage of charisma on the screen from all of them. I mean, the depth you get out of all of them, but also just these young people who have so much divide. I mean, they just all pierce through. Talk to me about, um, yeah, if you can talk me through. I guess starting with with the sisters, kind of how you came to each of them, and and uh, yeah. Well, I, before I even knew that I was going to that I had completely wrapped my mind around doing this. I had a, I actually wrote the script before I directed little before I directed Lady Bird. So I'd written the script for this, then I directed Lady Bird, then I came back to this and I actually I always I don't I don't know how other people do it, but I I I need to be alone for a week or two to kind of wrap my head around what this thing is. Do you write with actors in mind? No. No, no yeah, I can't. Yeah. But even once I have a script, I need a couple weeks to... It's like I have to imagine the thing existing so fully that I can convince everybody else to do this thing to, with me. And I, I feel like that takes 
some sort of mystical time alone. In any case, I hadn't done that yet, but Sersha knew I was thinking about Little Women, and Sersha, who I'd worked with before, um, she just told me she was playing Joe. She just, she not, tapped me on the shoulder and said, I know you're working on Little Women, I'll be playing Joe. <laughs> and I was like, terrific. Such a Joe thing to do. I know, but then I felt like it is a Joe thing to do. And then... Um, and then I looked over, and Timothy did something very Laurie, and I was like, "There's Laurie." And then, um, and then, yeah. And then I went away in the woods, and then I, um, I had seen, um, I had seen, to be honest, I had seen a, a, I had seen a picture of Florence Pugh before oh, yeah. I saw Lady Macbeth. Uh, yeah, but I, but then I saw Lady Macbeth, and she's, but I just knew she was Amy. Yeah. She has this perfect upturned nose, she's not afraid of anything. She looks like she's coming at life fully. It's, there's something about the, her presence that I just knew yeah. would match Amy. And then, you know, she's such a brilliant actor, which I, I knew I wanted, because I wanted her to be a, you know, proper proper boxing partner for Saoirse. Yeah. Um, Meryl Streep also told me she was going to be in the movie, <laughs> um, <laughs> which she was right. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, That's such a Meryl Streep thing to do. Yes, yeah, yes, I know. Right. I mean, I couldn't have been more. I mean, she's she's astonishing, obviously. She's Meryl Streep. And also, she's such a... I mean, with all of these actors, such incredible collaborators, so, like, made everything about the movie so rich. And How do you find... I mean, I mean, because having done quite a bit of terrific acting yourself, how do you, do you in terms of... I don't know the transition. Not even the transition, but how is that useful in terms of approaching directing, or is it still every actor is different, and you have to find your way your way in? I think I've. I mean, I think every actor is different, so you always have to. I think that is for me actually a benefit because I've, as an actor, I worked with so many different actors, and each actor is you build the scene differently. But I do think they all are. They all need slightly different things to thrive. Um, Do you feel like you can, I don't know, like what you said before about becoming comfortable with like mm -hmm. your body? Do you feel like you can, you, there's, there's something from having done it yourself that helps you when you step on that set? I, for me, yes, I think it does because I think I have... I think I'm aware of how what I'm asking them to do, and I and I'm very sensitive to like. I mean, they they all can do whatever, but I'm very sensitive to like when it says you know bursts into tears here. Yeah. How I mean, that's just stressful to know um, for actors. So I try to I, I try to remove any pressure. What I really try to do is make them feel like we have all the time in the world, because I think that when they feel that like clock going, that they 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 get. It's just this imperceptible thing. But one thing I will say about shooting on film, which is nice, is um, it does, I think for actors, there's a safety in, um, and I've done it, when you shoot, you know, when you shoot on the Alexa, or you, you can shoot for a very long time, you can shoot everything. There is still a formality to shooting on film that I think they kind of bring something extra. I know I do. Yeah. Um, when I when I've acted and we've shot on film, so um, and I like that. I don't. I I, I don't. I, I think it's detrimental if they feel everyone saying, "Oh, let's hurry up." Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's good when they feel like 
action. <laughs> like movies. Curtain rising. How many days did you have to shoot that? How quick was the shoot? It seems like you um, had time, it seems like. It's so gorgeous. I, not as much time as I would have wanted. As, but yeah, we had, I don't know what the final day count was, but um, maybe 48 days. Wow. Wow, for the amount Which of you, is, yeah, yeah. It was, I think I killed every department head. Yeah. Actually, they all said to me separately at the rap party, <laughs> they were like, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, but, but, it, but it was, I, I felt like we had, we, we did have, we were given the support, my brilliant producer, Amy Pascal, who I think is here, just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until I had everything I needed. And, and that was, I mean, like I was able to tell the story on this big canvas and do it, do it big and do it right, and it was really exciting. But it was also, it was maybe, it's always. I think it, maybe it is always a little good to be a, it's a little too big to fit in the box. Always, yeah. Just ten percent. You have ten percent less than you need. Yeah. No matter how big the box is. Yeah. We and then, unfortunately, yeah. I had just seen an interview with Guillermo del Toro where he said it is the director's obligation to go over time and over budget. And I was like, Well, now he well, tells G us. Guillermo said it. <laughs> uh, who am I? You see, to, Amy. You know. Guillermo, yeah. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left. I want to really quickly. I want to ask you about editing. I want to ask you because I mentioned structural before and. Obviously, that goes in the writing, but talk about being in the edit room with this. Talk about, first of all, how you work in the edit room, and also if how much the whole thing ended up if structurally changing, because for something this complex to flow as beautifully as it does, I know it takes a lot of work. Well, it's, I mean, it, on the one hand, it is very similar to the script. I mean, I, I, it's, it's cut pretty nearly to the script. Um, but it is a movie in which small changes have big ripple effects. So it took a lot of calibration. It was a long edit. It was a. It it took it. It was something that the 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 heart of it was there very quickly. And I worked with my editor Nick, who we, who I also did um, uh, Lady Bird with, um, is you know he's relentless and he's. Uh, just so wonderful because he never sighs. He never says, oh, God. Because I'm like, can we just try it again when we move? And he, I never, he's, he's always like, great, let's do it again, even if he knows we've done it eight times already. And, um, but it, it was, um, it was a long, I have to say it was a long process. And then, and then it was, there were so many moving parts that were happening in post in terms of, I knew how big the music was going to be as well, and Alexandre just did an extraordinary score. And I knew that he was writing the music before we started shooting, and we'd had some conversations, and he'd written a couple of things that I was able to listen to while I was setting up shots and kind of having some kind of a rhythm. But I didn't really know what it was going to be, and he wanted to listen to it with nothing. And and knowing that you're cutting to be watched naked is an, an it's really hard. So you didn't tempt it for we, no, I, I, yeah. we we tempt it for ourselves and we took it away because we were like and and you really have to you know the integrity of the image has to work on its own because you know as we <laughs> I'm sure many people in the room know music can sort of cover some faults <laughs> if you if you need to get through a section um, and to to not have that as a crutch was actually an incredibly good exercise for me. 
But I, it's funny because I would say the bulk of everything was there, the way the scenes were cut, the way we saw the characters, but just that little bit. But I worked straight through. We kind of started at the beginning and just worked straight through. And I was cutting, I think, the day after. I, I finished shooting on like... Were you assembling while you were cutting, while you were shooting? or we were? I was doing just sort of making sure I got all the angles I needed, but I don't watch full assemblies. I, that's the most, I don't, no, that would no, be yeah. like, that would be like someone like slowly sticking their finger in your eye. <laughs> it, like I don't, like I can't bear, I wouldn't be able to bear it. No, you watch, you watch the, you watch 30 seconds and then it's unbearable. And then you say, okay, no, no. Um, but I, but he was just making sure everything was sort of working, um, and then, I mean, we also knew, because we were telling this time shift, we, we'd done some stuff in camera to distinguish between the two time periods with different um, filters. We used Vericon filter for a lot of what was the... Then the color timing. And the color, between, yeah, the color definitely, timing was yeah. going to yeah. be the thing, which we knew. And we didn't want to t bake too much into the image that we wouldn't be able to uh, undo, because we weren't positive of how it would all flow but in any case Nick and I um we worked through we started I started cutting right away I start cutting right away I, I finished on December 16th and we were cutting on December 17th um and then I yeah that the core and the heart was there but just it took months of tinkering all the and, finessing, yeah. and yeah. really asking people uh, to 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 say oh what what was this what was that and and you know because it was something that you know I love this book and so many people love this book and they know this book and I and I wanted to make something that worked for them but worked for everyone and so that thing of being able to be brought into a story but also if you know the story being brought in in a new way and it just you know I I, I think um, it it was it, some of them fall easily and this one took took time. Well, it's an absolutely extraordinary achievement. Let's give it up for Greta Gerwig Thank and her you. incredible Thank you. movie. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more great Q&As with directors Noah Baumbach and Melina Mitsukis. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.